Welcome to 100% Real with Alex and Amanda, a business lifestyle podcast. Best believe, best believe, uh, we the best, yes indeed, yes indeed, uh, yeah, best believe, best believe, uh, we the best, yes indeed, yes indeed. In today's episode, we are actually sitting down with Stephen Hughes, aka No Money Steve, and we don't mean no money, we mean K. N-O-W, no money. Um, so Steve, I'm going to let you pop in and, and just give yourself a quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about how no money even came to be. Sure. And um, thanks for having me. Um, it's so crazy. Do, have you told people how we all met? No, we haven't. Man, that's a, that's a crazy story too. So hopefully we get into that. But uh, so no money uh, is a nonprofit organization headquartered here in South Carolina. And we teach college students how to think and talk about money differently um, so they can manage it and grow it better. Um, and when I say differently, most of us didn't grow up talking about money. And you know that leaves a lot of space to, to make some mistakes. And so personally, um, I'm a first generation Jamaican American. And when my parents um, got here, you know, they put it all online, they, they made their sacrifices. But uh, they were really, really, really big on education, as is most uh, immigrant parents, right? Uh, and so I went to college, but one thing that we didn't talk about often was in our household, we didn't talk about money. Um, we came from humble beginnings. It was eight of us in a three-bedroom house, sometimes 10, depending on who was here from Jamaica. And um, since we didn't talk about money and we were consistently seeing different uh, I guess negative money experiences like the lights or water would be cut off every now and then. I would definitely have some repairs that we need to make around the house. But uh, when I got to college, not having a financial foundation, uh, I made every mistake possible. And I can kind of laugh and smile about it now, but really while I was there, I had seven maxed out credit cards. I had overdraft fees to the point they closed all of my checking accounts and told me to get out of here. Um, I had two repossessions because one wasn't enough, of course. Uh, I got evicted from my apartment. My credit score was a 385. And uh, so I decided I wanted to do some things different. And as I started to turn my financial life around, I started meeting more people who were our age who wanted to either avoid all the mistakes that I made at all costs or correct the same mistakes that they made. Um, because, you know, those are things that a lot of people have experienced with the, the time that I've spent here doing financial education. And so um, I've been in financial education for the past nine years. No money has been kicking it for the past five years. We turned five on July 10th. And, um, and so we're rolling. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I remember when you told, told us your story, when I first met you at the, at the Austin space, um, you said something that kind of resonated with me. Um, that something you're, you're like filled with adages, right? Like you have a bunch of like good quotes and one of them that you said was, I've never met a stranger. Right? I haven't. And right. Instantly, I was like, I'd like to say that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I want to, I want to know this guy more. And, um, you know, we started kicking it, talking about, um, you know, different financial tools and instruments yeah. to basically make money work for you and things of that nature. Um, so, I mean, it's a really inspirational story, man. Like you definitely came, like you've definitely, I never even know a credit score could go up to 300, to be honest with you. I actually I didn't either. I didn't either. And it was weird finding that out by experience. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I feel like in college, um, I was kind of lucky because my mom taught me a lot about uh, credit 
earlier on, she actually made me open my first credit card and helped mm. me with my books and things of that nature so I could start building that credit early on. Yeah. But I know you had a different experience. Yeah, my experience is complete opposite of Alex's. Like growing up, it was, you know, rent money was spent on, on clothing and it was it was often uh, overdue and when it was paid it was paid in like a large lump sum of cash because i grew up with the mentality that you can always make it back and you just like like money comes and goes it's like a faucet just goes down the drain right. but it's always there you could just pull the faucet again and go find mm -hmm. some more kind of thing yeah. <laughs> which my, is not very good <laughs> i grew up kind of like a lannister uh, i don't know if you watch game of thrones but like fazlani always pays their debts so like my mom was <laughs> about like Oh, we owe something, pay it off. Like every month. So credit cards paid off, paid off, paid off, yeah. pay off. Everything I, I grew up with a our balance was zero. Yeah, rack up your, your debt because when you die, you're not taking the money with you. Wow. Yeah, well there it is. I think that um I had maybe a mix of you two as far as like how I grew up because my parents, um, you know, with with us growing up in a Christian background. Um, they wanted, they didn't want us to have a scarcity mindset when it came to money. Um, but at the same time, like they, it, when it comes to management, it was like kind of loose as far as money management. And um, there were times that they didn't have the income to actually pay the bills. So I get that. But then there were times where we were buying things. I was like, Oh, we got money. We got money, money. Um, like this is what's up. But then a few months later, it's like, damn, the lights are off. Here's a candle so that you can get to the bathroom, you know, at night. And, uh, or, hey, the water's about to get cut off. Let's boil a pot of water so that we can have water to, you know, drink or wash up or all that other stuff. So, um, but then they also told us, like, hey, don't get a credit card. You don't want that debt. Um, because they've had many negative experiences with credit cards. So, I've, I've heard that you shouldn't keep that debt, but the management of the money was kind of like you said, Amanda, like, Hey, we'll be all right. Like they're like, the Lord will provide, like yeah. there will be money coming. And it wasn't until I got older. It was like, um, the Lord gives you the opportunity to make some decisions for yourself. Yeah. And he ain't, he ain't gonna keep throwing money at you if you ain't gonna manage it. <laughs> so you might want to chill out. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I'm, I'm definitely coming from an abundant mindset. I know that um, there are millions out there that just haven't hit my bank account yet. Uh, and at the same time, I'm going to manage these thousands like they are millions. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I would love to ask you a question. So how did you start turning around? What was like that um, that mindset? What was that like um, rock bottom, you can say, that kind of pushed you up? Because I feel like every entrepreneur has that point where they hit that, like, all right, I can't go any lower than this. Let's yeah. Let's start pulling our way through like what, what was that moment like for you do, you do you have like one of those like steps yeah the um the rock bottom place uh, for me it's not a story that I tell often and I'll probably um I'll share this with you guys because it's not something I've told in detail but uh when I started working I dropped out of college in 2010 and I started working in sales full-time because I didn't want to take any more loans out for school just to finish and so I was making okay money. And when I, when I say okay money, like my base salary was like $23,000 plus commission. And I was like, oh, I got money now. All right, bet. But um, that's because my expenses were so low at the time. And um, I remember uh, I was, you know, I was the happy hour guy. If you want to go to happy hour Wednesday through Friday, I'm with you. If you want to go out to eat 
Tuesday through Saturday, I'm with you. And so I was spending a lot of money um, and I wasn't saving a lot. And um, there was one night that I went out with some friends and we were drinking. Um, and then I ended up meeting um, a friend of mine there at the bar and we ended up going to a club, continued to drink. And then I was following somebody home, but I was so drunk at the time that I got on the wrong uh, interstate. So instead of going 20 West, I went 20 East. And, or instead of going 20 East, I went 20 West. And, you know, I've been up for at least 24 hours. Guys started work pretty early. At the time I was working in industrial and construction sales. And so 6.30, 7 a.m., I was at the office. Um, so at this point, it was like five in the morning. A cop pulled me over and arrested me for a DUI. Um, and, you know, thank God that I didn't get charged for a DUI. I told him, I was like, you know, I'm not drunk. I, uh, I'm super tired, though. Falling asleep at the wheel because I'm heavily tired. But, um, you know, when even going through the legal process of trying to get that off of my record and all that other stuff, um, when I got pulled over, I didn't have enough money to get my car towed back to my house. Oh, wow. And it was, a, it was after a night where we were dining out, eating, drinking. Like, I had enough money for all those shots and all that other stuff. But, um, it hit me at that point and really kind of getting my life back on track when I got arrested. Um, the financial toll that a DUI charge, not even if you get convicted, but that a DUI charge can take you um, is thousands of dollars. You know, ten, ten, I, I calculated at one point, it was at least $10,000. Wow. And when you're young and having to face like a $10,000 debt that smacks you in the face immediately, um, that was my wake up call. And it was like, that was 2011 when I really started kind of getting where things started to turn the corner where I said, well, I've got to do something, some things different. Uh, a friend of mine told me to read a book called the richest man in Babylon. Oh, I love that book. That was actually after, I, yeah, after I read that book, um, it changed my life forever because, you know, I love rap music. I love hip hop music. I love, um, R&B and reggae music and all those all of those genres of music they have messages like you know they're very lyrical and so I'm a, I'm a big story guy even when I'm a, like when I'm doing keynote speeches or workshops like I really lean on my stories and reading the richest man in Babylon it's literally a book full of stories that's all it is it's a fictional book full of stories about how this guy is going to manage his money and how his dad should trust him to take over this kingdom and uh, just reading all of those stories in the book and thinking like, okay, I could do this. Like this man just got robbed. I've been like, his friend pretty much set him up with this. And I think you remember the story where his friend was like, hey, I got this hookup on these jewels, but his friend didn't know anything about jewels. And he trusted his friend, gave him the money and he lost all his money. And I was like, yo, I've done that before. Like my friend was like, yo, this stock is gonna pop. And I've done that. And so I started connecting to different parts and stories of the story. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was really like the turning point, like hitting rock bottom, knowing that there's no point that I could go any lower. Um, I didn't have a job at one point. Uh, I, I lost, I got my car repossessed and I didn't have any money. So I just knew that things had to shake. Yeah, so, you, so would you say your name was like a double entendre? So you kind of came over it? Yeah, well, at the time, um, I wasn't even thinking about starting an organization, you know, um, but 
it, it could be a double entendre at this point. I need to figure out how to how to brand that and get the N-O a different color or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, so what is there, was there any other books that you kind of um, leaned on or in regards to opening organizations? Because obviously um, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's where I kind of got the idea for like LLC and how I saw all the tax write-offs and things of that nature. Um, was there any books that you kind of leaned on to start your education and getting out of, you know, improving your credit situation, improving your savings situation? Yeah, there, um, I think there are four books that I'd say that were kind of foundational for me. Uh, the Richest Man in Babylon by George Klassen was one. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki was one. Um, How to Fix Your Credit by Dominique Brown was one. And um, there was, oh, I'll Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. That was another one. And, and so I didn't read all the books at one time, but um, after I read one, it kind of put me in a, a trajectory to say, oh, these are some steps I can take to change what I have going on right now. And, you know, I can move from here and then I'd find another book along the way, you know, or someone would uh, meet me and say, oh, you're working on this. You might want to read this. And it, really, that's how it all works. Like as you're getting more experience and hit another level or, or get an accomplishment, no matter what it is, like an accomplishment for me was letting the $25 in my savings account stay there until next month. Like that was a huge accomplishment for me uh, because I could not save any money. I was living paycheck to paycheck for most of my life. And uh, now like my savings rate is a little over 50%. And uh, like, it's, it's not a, a crazy thing for me to save a few thousand dollars a month, but you know, it, it all starts like somewhere. And um, those are the, those are like the foundational books for me. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And it's like, um, was it when the student is ready to teach, uh, the teacher will arrive type of thing? What's it? When What's the student there you is go. preparing, the teacher will arrive. So it's kind of like with books, right? Like the book would just find its way to you when you, when you need it at that moment. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible that you took everything that happened, like all of that situation, because this is what, like 10 years later, right? little more than yeah it's dang dang you made me feel old yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm gonna put a damper on the conversation amanda no actually i'm cool i'm cool with getting old i just don't want my body to get older like as y'all know i'm I'm, uh, getting this achilles back on track but um if i'm getting old that means my money's maturing as Wiz khalifa says so um i'm cool with getting old it's all good but yeah you're right it was like dang near 10 years ago yeah Yeah, and i crazy how a decade could change so much yeah and and like your whole life has has transformed and you took what you like went through what you learned and now you're helping people do do the same for their lives that's absolutely incredible so kudos to you like wow yeah so what what are some projects you're working on to to educate uh these college students because i know i was uh, i was looking at i know you're also on the news you're like on the news yeah mm-hmm. uh, you have like a segment yeah, uh, so each Monday morning, uh, I have a segment called Money Monday on the CBS affiliate in Columbia, South Carolina. Awesome. And um, I've, I've been on a few other shows like on Fox or on PBS, but I really like the, the CBS family. They have a real focus on the community here in our network. So, um, you know, financial education right when you get up in the morning is something they like to do. Um, but outside of that, like no money, it's kind of morphed into what it is now. So when I first started it, I really 
One is some uh, a nonprofit organization that I could start reserving rooms at like rec centers and libraries. So when I wanted to talk, it had at least a name on it. But um, you know, fast forward five years later, we're really focused on college students because that's where I made most of my mistakes. And really, that's like the that's the the class of people that need the most help right now. You know, not only with student loan debt, but credit card debt and the lack of financial education resources that are just available to us. Um, and when I say financial education resources, I'm not talking about the free bank workshop that come in and they tell you to budget and you never listen to them because they're super whack or like the investing person who comes in and says, hey, you should start a retirement fund here. And you're thinking like, I'm 19 years old, please get out of here. But things that will affect their lives immediately. So talking about how you can manage or, or uh, budget a refund check or um, what are the first things you think about when it comes to building your credit or how to manage money when all of your friends want to go out and you don't have a full-time job. And so um, the, the big things um, for No Money Now is that we have a set of workshops that are called No Money on Campus. So K-N-O-W. Uh, and it's a, a full set of workshops to help students kind of break up with broke and understand how money works. And then this year, we uh, I've been wanting to do a conference for like five years. And this year was like the year that we finally took the plunge and did it. And um, in April of this year, we hosted our inaugural Bankroll Summit. Um, and so Bankroll Summit, it was specifically created to help uh, Black college students not make broke a part of their college experience. So showing them how to manage their money, showing them how to get more money through scholarships, showing them how to eliminate their debt while they're in school and after school. And then also bringing in entrepreneurs who uh, could tell them how to start businesses while they're in college or shortly after. Um, and because 86% of the students who attended Bankroll Summit said they wanted to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and so those are the things that we're doing right now are really focused on really focused on no money on campus and really focused on Bankroll Summit. Um, and then a, a special project here and there, like we have one project that's called No Money Better. Um, so K-N-O-W, Money Better. And it's a, a program a few years ago, a, a homeless community here in Columbia, South Carolina reached out to us and asked if there was something we could do financial education wise for their clients. And so now we have a, it's the biggest program that we have right now in No Money. Um, it's a weekly financial education workshop every Thursday at three o'clock in the homeless community. Um, and if the clients attend three out of the four workshops, then they get to graduate from the No Money Better class. And graduation looks like them getting a No Money, No Problems t-shirt, um, which they wear like it's a, like they rip their flag and um, a certificate that they can take to a local partnering bank that will let them open a second chance checking account. Because one thing that we see is that um, a lot of those clients are either unbanked, unbanked or underbanked. And you know, all those terms mean is that they don't have access to the, the accounts and resources that you and I probably use most often. So being able to cash your check without paying a fee or being able to get some money out on a line of credit if you, if you have or need that, or being able to manage a credit card because you have access to credit. And, um, you know, we're just trying to help them help build more resources and, and uh, show them products that make sense. So low or no cost. Because I hate fees. I hate bank fees. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't, man? That's that's no, really no. awesome. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. And so in regards to the, the home, you said you were helping the homeless. So they, they 
that as well. Can you touch on that a little more? Like, because um, I don't know if I'll, my hearing, my hearing is. Oh, yeah, so you know the um, so the homeless, uh, like the homeless community that we work with, that's the No Money Better program installed at the homeless community. So okay. um, with that that four week program every single month, um, that's where they'll attend the classes. And the classes um, aren't your regular, you know, classes. So, so most of the time, if you go to a bank and you ask them, "Hey, can you come in and talk to us about money?" Like, what what's the first thing they talk about? Savings checkings. Savings checking, or hey, you need to set a budget. That's not you. That's not where you should start, especially with someone who is income insecure or doesn't have a, a secure job where they know that money's coming in every month. Um, the first place that we start is helping them kind of sort through their money mindset, and then also setting financial goals. Because the biggest thing, the biggest change in my life happened when I started putting that bullseye in front of me that were my money goals. And I could move towards that target, right? And um, I know that in regards to getting money together, like I was in the same situation that the, the clients in the homeless community are in because I've been homeless before. But um, really focusing on setting financial goals, finding ways to save towards your financial goals, not just saving in a bank, um, how to man manage your credit or rebuild it if you need to. And then the fourth class is uh, focused on banking products that the clients can use that are either low or no cost. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, let's let's use a, a quick example. So let's say we you have somebody right now that has really poor credit, right? Um, you know, they want to eventually, you know, buy real estate. They want to eventually start their own business. They want to, they want, you know, do all these things. But obviously credit is super important when it comes to, you know, being able to have that credit card so you can start, you know, spending yeah. for your business and tracking your business a lot easier than if you were doing everything through cash. Um, what would you recommend for somebody who's like, you know, really poor credit? What, what would be their first steps? Where, where would you tell them to go first? Probably has student loan debt. Yeah. Okay. If so, uh, for people who have poor credit, the first thing that I say is that you want to know where you're at and where you're trying to go, right? So get a baseline. Uh, most people measure their their success or their, I guess, terrible credit score. If you say like they need to, they have poor credit. Um, we usually base that on a credit score. So first thing you want to do is know what your credit score is. Um, and sometimes when I'm doing some of these credit classes, I'll ask people like, when was the last time you one, put your credit report or two, saw your credit score and answers range from six months to never. And so I think that the first place you should start, if you're trying to rebuild your credit or improve it, is to figure out what's your baseline, what's your credit score right now. And you can use a website like Credit Karma. Um, it's not going to give you your exact FICO score. And when I say FICO score, I'm meaning like the scores that are coming directly from TransUnion, Equifax, or Experian. But um, Credit Karma uses similar calculations to get you close enough so that you'll know like, okay, well, I can start here. Um, and the second thing you want to do is to pull your credit report. So you can go to annualcreditreport.com and just pull one credit report. Like just pull your Experian credit report or your Equifax credit report or your TransUnion credit report. Um, they're going to ask you for a lot of personal information, like your name, date, social security number, address, all that good stuff. Um, but the reason you want to pull your credit report and not focus so much on the Credit Karma 
um, suggestions or recommendations is because you want to see with your own two eyes what is your credit report, I mean, your credit score based on. And that's, that's really the big thing with your credit report. Um, in addition to that, like on your credit report, you'll be able to see how many spellings of your name are on your credit report. And you'll be able to dispute like, hey, this is not my name. This is misspelled wrong. Please take it off of my credit report. Please take these addresses that are invalid off of my credit report. Like you'll be able to see what's going on. And uh, it's not it's not a mystery that there are tons of people who have uh, like misreported information on their credit reports, but we won't know that unless we read them. Um, and so that's why I tell people to start get a baseline, get your credit score. Next thing you do, get annualcreditreport.com, and then after that, uh, and pull your credit report for one bureau. It does not matter which one it is. I do not care which one it is. Um, but after that, you want to start um, examining your credit report and just circling the things that look weird and certain things that should not be there. Um, and then the next thing you do, because I'm not a credit specialist or expert, is get that book that I told you about. Um, because that's the reason I bought it. Like it was the, it was like the Bible. It was the guidebook to getting my credit back, back on track. So now I feel like he's dropped a new one um, or a second edition or something like that. But uh, the book is called How to Fix Your Credit by Dominique Brown. And not only does he have like a step-by-step -step guide on how to fix your credit, but he also has like sample letters that you can send to the credit bureaus or um, specific information on why, why we don't talk to collection agencies over the phone anymore. Like if you wanna communicate with me um, in regards to something that you think that I owe you and you're a collection agency, send it to me in writing. I'm not confirming any of my contact information over the phone because I have no idea who you are. You just called my phone. So, um, you know, that's one thing that I teach people often. Like if, a, if someone calls your phone and says, hey, I just need to verify some information. Alex, um, is this your birthday? Is this your address? Is this your social security number? Like if, if, a, if someone, if a criminal picked up, like stole your wallet and started reeling off this information to you, like the last damn thing you're gonna do is say yes, yes, that's my address, that's my birthday, yep, that's like you're not gonna do that. So you shouldn't be doing that for anyone who just randomly calls your phone, yeah. credit agency or not. And I think that um, we oftentimes give this information because financial stress is on us, and it changes like how we move and how we talk and how we um, like interact with other people. And so when a collection agency calls you and says, "Hey, you owe us some money." This is a uh, this is a call. This is a, a debt collection agency in attempt to collect some debt. When they say that, you're thinking like, "Damn, this been caught up with me. I knew I was gonna have to pay it sometime, but here it goes." And they try to cut you a deal and all types of foolishness. Like, I could go on and on about collection agencies, but I won't. Um, I just want to make sure that people know that we don't talk to them on the phone. We'll tell them like, "Hey, send me whatever you're gonna talk to me on the phone in writing," and then they'll say, "Okay, well, what's your address?" whatever you have on file i'm not giving you my address because if you don't send it to me and i don't get it well it's probably not my debt and I, you're not the person i need to talk to i need to talk to my original creditor so um those are just a couple of tidbits i think that uh really start getting your credit score get your credit report and get that book awesome awesome and where was this advice when i was like 21 years old <laughs> i needed it too so i feel you <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome 
So um, what else are, what else have you been up to? I know that the last time we spoke, you were interested in possibly purchasing land out there um, in North Carolina, um, South Carolina. Um, have you actually purchased that, that plot of land? What are, what, what are your plans with that? Uh, yeah, so the last time we talked, I talked about buying land. And now I have a, a spreadsheet of different pieces of land that I'm looking at now to purchase. Uh, and they range anywhere from $500 up to $2,000, just because of what my criteria is. Um, but I'll purchase something before the end of the summer. And then my goal is to purchase my first duplex before the end of November. Um, and, you know, keep it keep it moving. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, y'all... Got me really going with that real estate investing thing um, because we just rolled into the conversation so fast. So yeah, I'm definitely with it. Yeah, because me uh, personally, like I'm trying to get into the buying, rehabbing, and holding type. Mm-hmm. Um, I do plan on doing like the refinance thing, so putting the money in, refine, trying to stay as liquid as possible, and just kind of letting uh, the rental pay for pay for the mortgage. Yeah. Um, oh, Jeff is making a thing. Our cat. I just saw that cat. I was like, hold up, what's going on? <laughs> He's always making a guest appearance. We should do like a Waldo thing for him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like the duplex thing sounds great. So, how, on average, just so I guess our our, uh, our listeners can have a point of reference, mm-hmm. um, how much does a duplex usually run for in the areas that you're looking at? Um, I've seen them as low as 25000 and, you know, they, they go up from there. But, um, I mean, it's, we're in South Carolina, so you know you can you can buy a house like even this is 2019 in 2015 and 16. Like there were some people that I would contact, and I could contract a house, like put a house under contract for eight thousand dollars. You know what I mean? And it'd be a like a two bedroom, two bathroom house, or a three bedroom, one bathroom house. But it would be something that if you put, you know. Ten fifteen thousand dollars into it, you'd get it back up to a rental um, capacity where you can make anywhere from five to six hundred dollars a month, or charge that. Uh, of course, you're gonna save at least half of that for everything else that's going on. But um, that's uh, th- that's really where the the rubber meets the road when it comes to pricing. So you'll see the prices range, and um, those are off market prices. So I know y'all are in the real estate, y'all on the MLS, all that good stuff, but um those are those off-market deals as you know mm-hmm. will get you to where you want to go if you have a budget of say five thousand dollars and you don't want to go over that um it gives you the opportunity to partner with one or two other people and and actually get a property under wraps and you know see if you can mess it up while you're trying to get it right and yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's always good start with a smaller investment mm-hmm. uh, before diving into larger ones just so you know you know if you mess up you know, you're not, you're not messing up with all your money. Yeah. Um, Especially for the first investment. I feel a lot of people when they're going into the real estate investing game for the first time, they mm-hmm. kind of like, they just look at what's on Zillow or what's on the MLS. And it, it's not even a thought to look at like the other potentials of off market deals. Yeah, for sure. And I think that um, Craigslist and places like that give us some, and you just sit through a ton of uh, bull, crap but um as you're going through even a source like that like you you can still find some things that are like handyman specials or um real estate investor specific to you know hit some price points that you want Um, another thing that i'll say real quick because i I feel like you're about to say something alex but getting 
into something like that and finding other people who are interested in that, but they don't have the time to do that. Um, they're open to giving you money because early on when I was even, you know, thinking about this and throwing around the idea and you know, starting to put houses under contract and doing some uh, wholesaling, there was a guy that I met who was like, hey, uh, I've got a great job. My 401k is stacked. I'd love to get a better return. If you're flipping a house, let me know. I was like, the hell? I don't know how to flip a house. But he was just so, like, because of the way that we, because of how the conversation went, he enjoyed the conversation and knew that I was really interested in real estate and I had some experience in real estate already. Um, he was ready to give me some money. And that was the first time I'd ever met him. He invited me to his house and everything. Uh, I met his daughter and it was, I mean, it was crazy. But I think that, um, you know, don't get so bogged down in the fact that you don't have money. Like, give yourself the opportunity to get creative and think about ways you can get started in something you're really, really interested in. Yeah, 100%. Um, wholesaling is definitely a creative way of, you know, being that intermediary without being a real estate agent type of mm -hmm. thing. Um, yeah. Just find, you know, finding the property, getting it closed with an investor who can purchase it really, really quickly. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, for every 100000 that you're roughly borrowing is going to be $500 a month. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. if you find a property that's 50,000, you can kind of do rough math that, all right, it's about $250, $250 a month by borrowing $50,000. Yeah. Right. So if you think about that, you're in the green, at least $250 for every property that you're purchasing underneath a hundred thousand dollars. Right. If you, if you think about it, if you found a property for $25,000, you're going to be in the green. If you put $10,000 worth of work into it, which is, to be honest with you, that's a great investment. Nonetheless. Yeah. It's all about the numbers, yeah. It's all about the numbers. Yeah. So when it comes to investing, definitely know your numbers. Um, if you don't know the numbers, reach out to someone like Steve or reach out to someone like me who will do all the numbers for you. And I think that's a, a big leverage point that I feel like a lot of people are scared to learning. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people don't pull the triggers because they're scared of the numbers. Even if the numbers make sense, they're still yeah. scared they're to like, pull the oh, trigger. But what if I calculated it wrong by just a bit? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it depends all, uh, I guess, on the flipping side or if you're on the, the buying and holding side, mm -hmm. um, the numbers are going to be a little different. But at the end of the day, make sure those numbers, double check it, have some professionals on your side that can definitely help you out. For sure. Yeah. So um, last thing, I just want to touch on savings. Right. Sure. So you said you, you have a target in front of you, right? So, um, I operate like that too. Like if I don't have a target, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't, I just sometimes don't even move. I'll just stand still. Right. That's yeah. right? Um, so what would be like, like, I know capital one, right? Like I, I, I use capital one for my personal banking. And I like setting up little savings accounts for separate things that I'm my goals. Yeah, right? like so a have, 360 account. Yeah, so I have okay. like a 360 account and I do um, like for my personal savings, I'm like, all right, I want two years worth of uh, maintenance and, you know, mortgage. And then I want um, to go to Puerto Rico with her. I want to, yeah. you know, I set separate accounts. Well, like different goals. What would you say is like the best um, savings account or checking account for somebody who's like new? I, I personally think Capital One myself. Uh, what about you? Uh, well, for someone who's new, I, I think that they have a couple of different options when it comes to savings goals, right? Um, if you're just starting with an emergency fund, like you have you have an established emergency fund, you've no money saved. If something happens, you're still living paycheck to paycheck. The best savings account for this specific goal is a federal credit union or a local bank that charges you no fees 
for your savings account and then you can just push money in there whenever you want. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to set up a one-way transfer where you can send money from your checking account at your main bank to this other bank. But uh, one thing that helped me um, a lot and uh, Tiffany Alicia, the budgetista, um, she's actually up you guys' way. She, uh, she's in New Jersey. But one thing she says all the time is that inconvenient money gets saved. And that was my experience early on. Like when I was transferring the $25 every single week to buy a bottle, like when I was in college, um, when I changed my uh, savings account to a federal credit union and didn't have any access to it, didn't have a debit card, didn't have an ATM card, didn't get any, um, any statements in the mail, I did it all electronic, um, money started to pile up over there because they're, they have banking hours, right? And I, was having, I had an office job at the time, so I could not leave before five o'clock to try to go and get some money from this dang credit union. Um, so that's say like inconvenient money gets saved. You're really trying to build an emergency savings account. Um, start there with a, a local federal credit union or a local bank. And I know a lot of people are, are big on online savings accounts and I am too. I have an online savings account, but the reason I, I always recommend a federal credit union or a, a local bank because you want to have access to your money as fast as possible in the case of an emergency. And if an emergency happens, I, I will leave work and go and get the, you know, get the money out of the account because I need it. It's an emergency. Um, outside of that, though, when you start building your money muscle and you feel like, OK, I can save some more. Uh, there are so many apps that will help you set financial goals or savings goals. So um, there's capital out there spelled with a Q, Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. And um, capital works pretty well. Capital rise and rise is spelled r-i-z-e and then digit so digit's the one that i use i've used it i used to use digit four years ago i tried all the rest of them and, and digit is the one that um I, that works best with me but um, each of them give you the opportunity to set a specific savings goal so one savings goal that i have in digit right now um kind of like yours alex is i want a year's worth of rent and utilities in an account, right? So Digit says, okay, well, when do you want this by? I want this by June 30, 2020. Okay, well, you have 300 and so-and-so days to make the savings happen. And so it'll start pulling out money out of my checking account incrementally. So it'll like go maybe, maybe five days and it'll take like $6.90 out and put it towards the savings goal. But it also gives you the opportunity to send money there whenever you want. So every time that I get income, I have a specific number like, okay, this goes towards emergency saving, this goes towards my financial goals, this goes towards my effort fund. And um, it helps kind of build your, your savings go when it's not right there in your face where you can have access to it, but um, it gives you some barriers, as I said, inconvenient money so that you can't uh, touch it immediately. So I think that anybody who is trying to build an emergency savings fund, they should definitely start locally. But um, if you're looking for savings goals like traveling Puerto Rico, y'all should definitely go to Jamaica, by the way. Um, or, you know, what did you say? Jamaica was a great time. Yeah. And um, or, you know, saving to buy your first house or investment property. Um, definitely look at online accounts, but take advantage of these apps, because the more that you can automate when it comes to these things, the the stronger faster you build your money muscle when it comes to saving so 
awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that he called it uh, money, money muscle. I just have a quick question. You mentioned that you have a savings account, an emergency account. And was, did you say an effort account or did I hear it incorrectly? Yeah. Yeah. It's called an effort account. What is, what does that mean for you? So uh, when I started getting my money together, right, um, I, I saw how much I was spending and a large amount of my money was being spent on food, like dining out. And I was like, dang, this is stupid. Like I'm Jamaican, I know how to cook, this is so stupid. And um, so then I, I knew I couldn't go like cold turkey and just not eat out anymore. And so I started putting, I started an account where it's a debit card, it's a checking account, it has a debit card tied to it. And I call it my effort account, right? Um, I don't know if we can be explicit on here, so I'm calling it the effort account. But if I want to go out to eat, effort there's money in this account i'll go order some food or if i want to like i have a friend this weekend she's having a baby shower in uh, um, in my city she's coming and her family's planning it for her it's not something that i had planned for financially before so if there's money in the effort account then i'll go and buy her a gift if not i'll tell her hey you need to wait until the, the 15th when i replenish the effort account um and so the good thing about the effort account is that once the money's gone it's gone. So if, it, if I'm at zero, ain't no going out to eat. If I'm at zero, ain't, ain't no buying gifts and kicking money here and there, right? Uh, and so it helps me kind of manage the, the miscellaneous or sometimes frivolous spending that we do uh, without any guilt. So I know that, all right, if I want to go out to eat, I got money to go out to eat. I already budgeted it or I already thought about it because I hate the word budget, but I've already thought about it. I know where the money is. I'm tracking all of my money, you know, everything's fine. Yeah, I want an effort account. <laughs> Get you an effort account. I mean, we, we already established this is 100% real, so we can yeah. call it a fucking account, guys. Yeah, okay, yeah. word. I didn't know. Like, I don't know how much I could curse. Like, I wanted to say bullshit before. I wanted to say fuck it, but I was like, <laughs> I don't know what kind of podcast this is. <laughs> we, we have to get used to it. We named the podcast 100% Real with Alex and Amanda, but I think as real estate agents, we're like so used to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I break character all the time. But, um, I got you. I got you. I know you. we had you on for a while. I have one more thing that I want to talk to you about. Um, sure. So in regards to percentages, right? So what would, what is your, because I know my percentage is, um, I put 30% of my income towards um, investing, whether that be some of it goes to my business, right? So I put another 10%, 50% towards my business. And then I have 50% where I like throw it at like Bitcoin or other investment stuff. And then mm -hmm. I put, um, I think 25, 30% in savings. And then I use the rest for spending because obviously standard living in New York is really high. Um, what does your percentages look like? Like, what, what would you say would be your, an ideal um, you know, split would be like 30% towards investing, 40% for investing or 50% towards saving and 10% towards investing. Yeah. The, the number that I'm working towards is 50% towards saving and investing. Okay. And, um, I don't always hit that number, but, uh, when money comes into my account, it all goes to, and this is like personal income, not talking about how I manage my business finances or anything else like that. And we'd, I'd love to get into that on another show. But um, personally, it uh, comes into my checking account and that checking account, the name of that checking account is called Money Pool. So it pools all of my money together and then all of the money for like my effort fund or my emergency savings or my, my financial goals 
um, or my bill account because I have a checking account specifically for bills because I don't want any company's hand in the money pool account. Um, all of the, the accounts, like they're fed from that money pool. And so because I, I also work full time in sales, um, I get paid commission. So say that I'm, I make $4,000 of commission this month, right? On top of the, um, my, my regular salary, well, $4,000, 50% of that's going to savings and investing. So that's 2000 off the top. Um, another 25% will go towards debt only because I have some consumer debt right now that I want to get rid of like as fast as possible before I really start pushing into real estate investing. And, um, the other uh, 25% is split. A, a little bit of it goes into my effort fund, um, like a flat $200 or something like that. Um, and then the rest of it is put into a, an account to build up a little bit of buffer between how I'm moving, you know, in regards to every single month. So I might pull some. I think we have a, a bit of a streaming problem. You're frozen. Surgery and I have to, you know. Sorry about that. So you, you might have to repeat yourself because it kind of had a, a little bit of a freezing moment. Um, the last thing we heard was a little bit of a buffer and then you froze. Okay, cool. Well, um, it, oh, I see it down here. I thought y'all were playing the staring game with me. Oh, no. Dang, they're so still. Wow. Um, but no, I was saying that uh, I'll put some money. I may put some money in my bill account just to build that up a little bit and give it a little buffer. Um, but as far as like saving percentages, my goal is 50% towards saving and investing. Uh, and I don't want to spend more than 30% on my, my living expenses. Uh, so that's what I'm working towards. And, you know, that's both um, keeping my expenses in check, but also increasing my income at ridiculous rates. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And yes, um, you provided so much value in this, this yeah, episode. For those of you who need information on credit or just want to learn more about money, you can go, we're going to add all the handles and uh, all that. Yeah. You can follow that at no money, Steve. Um, he's the man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <love this guy. laughs> Meeting him was, was very serendipitous. So uh, we'll, we're going to put links everywhere so that you can, you can check out what he's about, learn more about him and his organization and everything, all the amazing things that he's doing. Um, and thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Yeah. Definitely. yeah thanks. Thanks for having me. And um I mean, the, nothing happens by chance. So I'm glad that I got that uh, space at the I was only in town for like a few hours. So it's crazy that we did run into each other and meet. And here we are talking about our uh, our goals and how we're going to make it happen and how I'm going to get y'all down to the south. So yeah. <laughs> um, this has been this has been more than enjoyable. So uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to helping anybody else who's trying to get their money right, get their money right. Awesome, man. Awesome. And I look forward to investing with you. I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the south. I'm going to buy some houses and we're going to start renting them out. Yeah. Let you know Let's right do now. it. I'm with it. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. Um, stay tuned for next week's episode. And um, yeah, that is 100% Real with Alex 